Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What's up, people? It's the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. I am Alex Youngblood. I'm here with Joe McCall. Yo. And we, there he is. And we've got a great podcast coming at you, actually, part two of dealing with Andy McFarland and talking to him about his business and all the good stuff that we uh, covered at first. We're dealing with, uh, you know, we, we talked about deal, what's a deal, what's not a deal, all the different uh, things, that, facets of his business. And today we're going to get into talking about selling seller financing. So that's actually in regards to getting a seller to understand the benefits of why using seller financing would be to their benefit. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different things that go around that. We're going to jump right into it as this is part two. And uh, Andy, are you there? I'm here and ready. And Joe is here and ready, right? I'm here. I'm awake. You're awake, and it's five o'clock in Prague, and it's seven one oh nine here in <laughs> oh, it's on the eastern coast. And what is it? Time is it there? Eleven oh nine a.m. In wow! Florida. So we've got we've got uh, three different time zones coming at you. <laughs> That's Absolutely. pretty cool. Well, it's seven o'clock here. Oh, I thought you said it was five. So you no. must be really tired because that's what you messaged me this morning. Like it'll be five o'clock, or maybe that's our uh, next, our next podcast. Oh yes, which is Than Merrill from Fortune Builders. All right, cool. but, yeah, we'll just have to settle for Andy today. Oh, yeah, yeah, just settle for me, <laughs> 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 Andy. I'm just kidding. We're friends. That's why I'm giving you no, a hard time. No, I know. I know. We're good. <laughs> No, we're, I'm honored to have Andy on the show, Alex. He's a good friend. He's a smart investor. Oh, yeah, man. Real smart investor. And he's doing a lot of deals. Awesome. I mean, I would, I'd rather have somebody on the show who's doing a lot of deals than, than a celebrity or, um, you know. Oh, well, we won't tell Fan that. No. <laughs> he, I'm sure he is doing a lot of deals. I was just trying to dig myself out of that hole, eh? insulting that, our that guests. That was nice of you. And speaking about that, if I, if I could throw a plug in, I just left my Monday meeting where I meet with everybody in my wholesale company, and we are at, for June, we're at 16, 16 deals for June. What? So, yeah, 16 deals. Wow. We average about 12, 13 a month. But we got 16 in June so far, and it's not over yet. We got two days left. We got today and tomorrow. So. Are, those, are those all wholesales, or you got all kinds of things going on? No, those are just wholesales. Um, my retail company stuff is kind of separate from that. Wholesales, primarily. Straight and a couple of those. Straight up wholesale. I mean, we might take one or two of those because it's really good and just take it retail, but wholesales. I'm a wholesaler. Wow. Yeah. Good job. I bet you that's more than Than Merrill did. It could I, I have no idea. I don't, I don't want to say that. Than, Than's bigger than I am. You come beat me and up. And you're, you're just a straight up <laughs> mailer, right? You just mail, 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 mail? I do a lot of stuff. I do anything that works. I mean, we'll do warm network. We'll do internet stuff. We'll do mail stuff. We'll do, I mean, signs, anything. We'll do anything that works. You're doing bandit signs too, huh? Hey, I'll do, even do bandit signs. I mean, we got a, yeah, that's a whole nother story. We got a fat deal this year from bandit signs. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Man, I just, I just stick to direct mail. Andy, what would you say? Per, what percent of your deals come from direct mail? If you were to guess. Uh, uh, 35, 40. That's it? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, probably yeah, maybe 40%. Wow. 
Wow, so the rest is from other stuff. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. Sure, let's do it. Because, you know, you can't do any seller financing. You can't sell seller financing deals unless you have leads, right? Yep. You can't wholesale 16 properties a month unless you have leads. Yep. So I think think Andy's figured out the importance of marketing. And I I bet you a glass of iced tea that... (laughs) <laughs> I heard that from somebody the other day. I'll bet yeah, you, it was nice. I'll bet, you, <laughs> I'll bet you a glass of iced tea that Andy does his marketing consistently every day, every week. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Andy, here's a good question for you. Yep. Are there, of those 16, how much came from a fresh new strike as opposed to follow-up, follow-up, ah, follow-up, follow-up? Great question. Oh, man, that is a phenomenal question. Uh, I mean, we always get stuff from the follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. I mean, the fresh <laughs> strike, though. I mean, tell you, I mean, follow-up, but that's where the, the fortune absolutely is in the follow-up. But, um, I mean, I the more say like, you plant, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's probably 80% fresh strike every month, but you get the 20% that come from just like – the follow-up probably. I mean, I'm totally guessing, but that's about what it is. We get a lot of fresh strike stuff. We get a lot of follow-up stuff too. That's the key. Now, when you say follow-up, do you mean just calling people back over and over if they you know, call you and hang up? Or are you talking about you talked to them three months ago and you're still following up with them? Yeah. I mean, time and circumstances change everything for sellers. So we always stay in right. touch with them. If they get into our system, we have things, uh, automated things and also human beings that will go and do things to make sure that they are actual human beings. We have actual human beings. I know everybody's big <laughs> on like, that's no human beings touching it, but I've got a robot, <laughs> the robot generation. But uh, I mean, auto email autoresponders and stuff like that happens and they're going to get our drip from us and it's going to look personal, but things like just calling these people, I mean, just oh. calling them up and saying, Hey, Hey Joe, I remember two months ago you, you had your house. You want to sell it. You found another investor that was going to buy it from me. I remember he was going to buy it on this date. Did that happen? Right, I mean, follow up with stuff like that because you get so many new people that, no offense, but they just they just can't do what they say they're going to do. That stuff falls through, and when you're the guy that steps in uh, after them after their deal fell apart, you're going to get that deal. So we follow up relentlessly. You know, Alex, I posted something on your Facebook group, which is wholesaling houses. What full time? Uh, yeah, wholesaling oh, yeah. houses full time. <laughs> just, I always give you a hard time about that. <laughs> you should have called it wholesaling houses part time, but part time. No, but I, I'm, I'm looking for it. I posted something on there about follow up. Did you see that? And it's about. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Podio stuff. No, no, no. It, it was about. Why can't I find it? Still statistics. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Uh, this is really important. Sales statistics, and you've probably seen this before, but I'm just going to... Oh, yeah. Yep, I saw that. Uh, 48% of salespeople never follow up with a prospect. 25% of salespeople make a second contact and stop. 12% make three contacts and stop. And only 10% of salespeople make more than three contacts. All right? Got that? So only 10% make more than three contacts in their follow-up. So look at how many sales are made on your first, second, third, fourth, fifth contacts. 2% are made on your first, 3% on your second, 5% of sales are made on the third contact, and a whopping 10% of sales are made on the fourth contact, 
And get this, 80% of sales are made on the 5th to 12th contact. And that is from the Internet, so you know it must be true. No, it's National Sales Executive Association. Can can you believe that? Yeah. That's huge. And along those lines, too, I always tell my, my salespeople, the reps that are out there, like, the sale begins when somebody says no. And that's the truth. As soon as somebody's like, no, I'm going to think about it or let me get other quotes or those things, that's when your sales job begins. Mm-hmm. That's when you really start. That's when the rubber hits the road. And if you're a sales guy that's taken that first deflection and that first off of let me talk to somebody else or I got to get other quotes on stuff and you're just saying, okay, fine, and leaving your stuff with them and leaving, you're done. You're never going to get a sale. Like you're going to starve. I'm sorry, but you're just going to starve. That's it. Yeah, that's totally true. And I see the guys that are struggling the most I'd say 95% of this business is sales. It's obviously it's marketing, right? But it's knowing what to say Coffee to sellers. Is for closes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Glenn Gary, Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross, something like that. The you movie. see these. <laughs> oh, well, oh, we got these. <laughs> is this PG rated? This is, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Kinda. That's why it is rated. I didn't say anything. I said, you see these. I know. I like you kept it PG. I like it. Yeah. S- so the key is in the follow-up, right? So you, you got to – let's say you're not really even that good at sales. Um, you, I bet you anything, if you look at the numbers, probably 50% of your sales, your deals are going to come from the follow-up, from folks that said no at one time. Well, this statistic says 80% of them come from the follow-up. But if you look at all the leads that are coming in, um, your best list that you'll ever have is your follow-up list. Would you agree to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of people don't do that. Well, what's so sad and frustrating is, and I see this with my clients sometimes when they're first getting started, is maybe they're just nervous. Okay, and I get it. They're new. But they tell a seller after they look at a house or after they talk to them, okay, well, I'll look, let me sh- look at the numbers and I'll send you an offer. I'll call you back later or something like that. And it takes them several days to call back or they just never do. I mean, how many sellers have you talked to have said, you're the first person that that's answered my calls or returned my calls or has actually sent an offer when they said they would. It's ugh, you, sp- you spend so much money on marketing, you've got to follow up immediately with sellers when when that lead comes in. It's maddening. absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you spend the money on it um, already to get the to lead in the door, and if you look at it and say. This lead coming to me cost me 50 bucks, 60 bucks, 150 bucks, whatever it is in your market. Just think about throwing $150 out the window if you're not going to follow up these people and see how you feel about it then. <laughs> right. Yep. Okay. So I wanted to go back to marketing real quick, Andy. Yeah. Um, 30, 40% of your leads come from direct mail. What other kind of marketing are you doing? Uh, internet marketing. So pay per click stuff. That's big for us. We do that. We also have some stuff we try to just do like SEO-wise. I make some videos. So if you like Google, um, we buy houses Salt Lake City or something, you'll see a beautiful video of me. I'm, and I'm saying this. If you guys are doing that and you want to – just don't click on my paid ads. <laughs> but but um, you'll see a little video of me just speaking to the camera, basically just compelling you to talk to me because I know that I'm going to get in there and listen to your needs and we're going to work out a win-win solution and just basically, hey, call me. I'm going to take care of you like I've taken care of hundreds of other people. Um, but that's out there working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Yeah. Just, so and that doesn't cost me anything to have it out there. So, you so know, that, you know um, and, uh, Andy and Alex, sorry, the I just hired a guy to start doing some pay per click for me, 
and he basically is running my whole campaign. He's familiar with investing, and he is. We might interview him on a future episode. And what are his initials? Um, I'll tell you later. DG. Okay. Oh, I don't. Well, that's Dean Graziosi, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hired Dean to run my face my that's my Google pay per click ads for me. Anyway. So yeah, we're going to be talking more about pay-per-click and Google Ads, and we'll see if that works. Are you doing much of that yourself, Alex? Pay-per-click, absolutely. What percent of your leads fact, or deals come from that? In fact, here's a shameless plug: if you wanted to immediately get a pay-per-click system up and running, you can check out one eight hundred Fair Offer. We've got pages. Actually, came up with some new developments now to where. Uh, the pages that we've developed uh, are have national exposure, and anybody can go in once they're a licensee and change whatever they want about, well, within reason about the page, and now they have national exposure at the same time. So check it out if you're interested. 1-800-FAIROFFER.COM, is that what it is? Yeah, go to 1-800-FAIROFFER.COM, or, uh, you know, and you can uh, call the number if you're interested and leave a message with somebody and say, hey, let me know about it, but... Yeah. So yeah, definitely with one eight hundred fair offer, I lead, I do uh, pay per click campaigns, um, and also uh, some SEO stuff. And it's actually starting to rank uh, all around the country. I get leads from all over the place, just random stuff, just from it being out there and doing its thing. So nice. Yeah. Very nice. All right, Andy. So selling seller financing. Yes. What does that mean to you? Well, why Why is that important? Yeah, why is it important? The whole the whole reason I came up with this was uh, since I wasn't going to close the sellers anymore, I wanted to have a higher conversion ratio. Meaning, these leads we just we just talked about are so precious to us. We spend so much money to get the lead in the door, but you need to be able to convert that lead. And a lot of that's sales. A lot of it's sales, just being able to go in there and, and negotiate with the seller. Uh, in fact, all of it's sales. But you just need more tools in your tool belt. Sometimes, because if, if you're only, and I use this example, if your only tool is the cash hammer, right? Most investors who go use the cash hammer, they say, I need to get 70% of, of ARV minus repairs, and I'm going to go beat them up with the cash hammer. Joe, I'm going to pay you $50,000 for your $100,000 house, right? And it's just like, that doesn't work for all sellers. Well, what happens when they say no to that? Or what happens if they owe more than that? I mean, newer investors that don't have any other tools, they just throw in the towel. Well, doesn't work. Walk mm-hmm. away from that lead. And I was recognizing that I wasn't getting a lot of those deals anymore because I wasn't the one closing because I understood those things, but my people didn't. So I knew that I had to have some sort of a training to basically teach them how to sell seller financing. Okay. So that's where it came from. Now, let's backtrack a little bit more than even why seller financing? What, and, and what do you do with these kinds of deals? Are you, are you looking to hold them and keep them? See, and I think you might be coming at it with the same preconceived notion that most people have. They think, well, seller financing, well, I don't want to hold the property. That's only one arena of seller financing. I had four different destinations that I talked about specifically in my training of, of selling seller financing. So I do seller financing on flips. I'll do seller financing on long-term stuff, but I'll also do it on the short-term stuff. And even if they have a mortgage or if they don't have a mortgage, I've got options for them uh, and all of those things. And that's what I needed to instill in my sales reps. Okay. Does that make sense? So, yeah, you're... You have multiple different exit strategies, basically. Yeah. And it kind of depends on a lot of things, really, but wh- wh- what do you plan on doing I, with yep. the deal? You could wholesale it. You could keep yep. it. Yep. You Short-term flip, or what did you say? Like you hold it so, for a few months or something and then sell it? 
I looked at it this way, asking two, two simple questions to get to one of the four destinations. The number first thing I would ask, if you're a sales rep, if you're going to work with a seller, before you even get in there, think to yourself, is this a property that I want to flip or is this a property that I want to hold? And if it's a, So that's the first thing. So don't think, well, you can't do seller financing on something you're going to flip. You absolutely can. And then once you get in there, say, okay, if I'm going to flip this property, then your next question is, do they have a mortgage or don't they? And that's going to lead you to the destination that you want to sell. And when you know where you want them to go, then you're going to have the, the, the right word tracks to get them there. That makes sense. You're going to have the right benefits that you're going to speak to them so you can get them where you want them to go. Okay. Can you walk through maybe how you do some of the training for yeah. your your guys? Yeah, absolutely. And when I say to this training, I, I, I literally did a four-hour class on this. I spent one hour on each of the destinations explaining the benefits of that. So what we're going to be able to do here will be somewhat limited. Um, but I actually have videos of all that stuff too. Um, we boiled it down to some really cool training videos so I didn't have to redo it again and again and again. Okay. But what I was going to tell you guys is the most important thing when you're talking about seller financing is one, you want to have the tools, but the most important part about it is getting in rapport. Now, we know it's important when you're working with private sellers to be in rapport, but it's like 10 times as important if you're going to negotiate some form of seller financing with them. Because if you have no rapport, if they don't trust you, they're going to say no. Because a confused mind says no, and this is a little more of a, I don't want to say it's a complicated sale, but it's a trust sale. These sellers need to trust you. So, so with all of these destinations, the first thing I talked about in this training was like, you have to be in rapport with these people. So I talked a little bit about that, but you have to be in rapport so that they trust you. And then the second thing I talked about before I dove into any of the destinations was saying, you have to believe that it's actually a better deal for them because it is. Many times these, these selling these seller finance destinations, it's a better deal for them and you need to believe it, and you need to be able to sell it to them, show them how it's a better deal for them, and they'll thank you for it. And in my trainings, I actually showed four different videos of four different examples of, of I, like, I went afterwards and recorded a video with the sellers after the fact, right? This was just like a few months ago, and they still love me. And some of them, it's been 10 years since I've negotiated this deal. And if I told you guys about the deal, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. But we went back and recorded a video of them, and they love me. They're still so happy with the deal. It worked great for them, and they're like, it was a total win-win. So again, seller financing absolutely can be a better deal for the seller, and you have to believe that too. Awesome. As I said, the one of the stuff. yeah, I think that's a great stage. Okay. The um. So ex- explain when seller financing works, and not instead of just buying the house outright. Yeah. Um, so here's a perfect example of that. So there was a property I went to. It was an, a little bit of an upper end for my area. It didn't work for a rental property. ARV was like 350 or 400 So in my area, you can't really get enough rent to make that make sense. So I went into this negotiation with a seller thinking, okay, this is a flip property. I was planning on flipping it. And when I got there and started building rapport with the guy, I asked a lot of questions in my rapport building. Um, and I found out that some of the questions I asked are like, do they have a mortgage or not? And I found that this guy did not have a mortgage. So I'm thinking, okay, this is a flip property. I don't want to keep it, but he doesn't have a mortgage. And as normally happens, and this, as, when you guys go work with sellers and everybody that works with sellers, you know, sometimes you get to this like, price barrier a little bit. This guy wanted $260,000 for his house. He wanted two hundred sixty grand, and I couldn't get, when I was running my numbers backwards, I could not get higher than two fifty. So I couldn't pay him more than $250,000 cash, right? So we're kind of at this little impasse here. So that's when I just thought of this, I mean, the creative solution, right? What do you, I mean, you guys have any ideas here? What do you think? Um, Pay him some more if he'll carry the note. Absolutely, right? Yeah. So I recognized that, uh, and, and this is, as you guys investors are thinking, what do you pay for hard money? 
like 12 12%. 12%, at least 12%, right? Points, 12%, 15%. So I know that yeah. I pay him more money. And as I'm asking him more questions, he wants his 260 grand, which is kind of an arbitrary number. And I start asking him, you know, I know his background. I know what he does for work. I'm asking him a little bit about what are his investments are like. And I'm feeling out this is a guy that doesn't really have a lot of investments. So what's a good return on your money? Well, guys like that, a good return on their money is like 5%, right? Yeah. So I just basically went in there and said, look, um, I can get you the 250 grand um, if you're willing to do this, if, if, if I can give you the money over a couple of months. So what I ended up negotiating with him without getting too wordy with this was he held it at 0% interest because he doesn't value money like investors value money. So he got all of his money in six months, but I put 20000 down and I gave him the balance of $240,000 in six months. No interest, no payments. Which, I mean, everybody listening to this is going, oh my gosh, for a flipper, that's huge. No interest and no payments. Yeah. So with that extra uh, money there, because when a flipper goes in there, they say, well, it's going to cost me 12%. It was $2,500 a month. And times six months, you know, it's, it's this much money. Well, I was able to give that to him. I was able to put more money in his pocket. It was an absolute advantage to him because he didn't need the money, I found out from my conversation. And I won too because I got the property for a price that I needed. Now, if you don't have that tool, if the cash hammer is your only tool, and you've never thought of the interest savings that way, then you're not going to be able to present that to the seller. And I think we would both suffer because me as an investor, I wouldn't have got that deal. And him as a seller, he wouldn't have made more money. So that was an absolute win-win. And that was destination number one. I flipped his property. He had no mortgage. And so this was a property that needed fixing. Yep, it needed fixing. It needed fixing. And it was worth ARV? What was the ARV? Uh, it was you know, upper threes. It was like, it depended on what you do to it because it was a nice area of Salt Lake. But uh, yeah, it was like, I actually ended up wholesaling that property. So I actually wholesaled that seller financing too. So I sold it to somebody for two hundred eighty thousand. They put forty thousand dollars down, and they carried that his note. And then six months later, they fixed it up and sold it, and they paid him off. But I made a twenty thousand dollars wholesale fee on that house. Nice. How, long, how many how many months was your note? Six months. Six months. He had six months, no interest, no payments. They just, he just he was due his balance of two hundred forty thousand at the end of that six months. All right. Let's say he owed two fifty. Okay. What would you have done then? So now you've got to flip. So this is destination number two. You want to flip this property, but he's got a mortgage. So the next question you need to ask yourself, because this whole thing hinges on the interest savings. So next question is, how much is his interest rate? And if his interest rate's 5% on his mortgage and you're used to paying 12, can't you say 7% of 250,000 is your interest savings? And can't you pay him 7%? Can't you pay him that savings in a, on, his, on his purchase price, on your purchase price? Does that make sense? I, did I just lose somebody there? Yeah, well, you're saying for that six months, you're paying 7% less annual interest. Yep, annual interest, which is $1,400 a month, so times six months. So you, you, you just saved $8,700. So if it's two fifty, okay. can I pay him $8,700 more because that was the interest savings? And I could, and I'm going to beat another investor out of that in a competitive situation because I can pay him $8,700 more. Or I can put $8,700 more in my pocket. And, and yeah. But the, when I'm talking about the selling seller finance, it's an, first of all, you need to understand the concept like we're talking about right here. Oh, I never even thought of it that way. It's interest savings. But the next thing is you need to be able to spin and sell that benefit to the seller. And you just do it by things like this. You're saying, Joe, that's your, your mortgage is $250,000. So if you sell this thing for two fifty, dollars how much are you going to get? Uh, nothing. I'm walk away with nothing. God, that's, that's no good, right? Well, question for you. If we sell it for two fifty, dollars if I buy it for two fifty, dollars and you don't get anything, that's no fun. Um, but the bank's going to get their money right then if we pay cash. But I mean, if we could get you a little bit more money, do you care if the bank has to wait to get their money? 
what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> well, I mean, cause at closing, if I bought it for two fifty five, you get five grand at closing and, and that's the other two fifty is just going to pay off Wells Fargo. Right. Yeah. Well, do you care if Wells Fargo has to wait a couple of months? No, I don't care. All right. Well, what if we could figure out a way? Cause I mean, I hate to see you get nothing. I'd love to see you get something. So what if we could figure out a way to get you a little bit more money, something, and then maybe we'll just make Wells Fargo wait a little bit, right? And they're going to have questions, is it legal and all this stuff? But you see the, the mentality shift, right? It's a benefit yeah. to them. How can I get you some more money? Because, man, I don't want to see you do it that way. Now, a lot of people go into it and they say, uh, newer investors will go in there and say like, oh, well, Joe, I mean, uh, 250000 I'll come and take your property subject to, and you got a 5% mortgage. Tell me to go ahead and do this. You're just confusing them, right? Don't talk about what's in it for you. Don't say subject to to them. Don't say seller finance. If you say that, they're going to say, I have no clue what he's talking about, but they're human beings and they don't want to look like they're, they're unintelligent. So they're going to say, oh, no, no, I'm just not interested in that. What they're every, really saying is, I don't understand what you're talking about and I don't want to look stupid. Every seller is listening to the same radio station. I've said this before. Do you know, do you know what that radio station is? Well, oh, what's in it for me? What's that? WWI? No, 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 no. WIIFM. Yeah, FM. What's in it for me? What's exactly. It for me? <laughs> Absolutely. But we need to know our craft well enough. We need to understand these tools well enough and have studied it and have some word tracking so that you can go in there and get yourself out of the equation and just focus on them. Because if you go in there saying this is a flip property, he's got a mortgage, and you know where you want him to go, then you start asking questions to get him where you want him to go. That's the whole key with this selling seller finance. You need to know your craft well enough that when you get in there, I'm thinking, boom, what am I going to? Immediately going to interest savings. What's your mortgage? 250. How much is your interest rate? 5%. Cool. 7% of 250 is $1,400 a month. I can pay an extra $8,700. bucks. now you got to calculate that in your head, but then you have to sell him on you know, whatever it is you're going to sell him on. Does that make sense? Like That's why you need to understand this before you go into there with the seller. you got to understand what you want first, or else yes. you have no way to communicate to the seller what they want. Yes. And, and in, show in both, them what they want. <laughs> and in both of these instances we just talked about, the flip with no mortgage and the flip with, with the guy's got a mortgage now, wouldn't we say that that was a better... We gave the seller more money or we gave them more of what they wanted just by working it out that way. I mean, it was a benefit to him, right? So we, and it was a better deal for them. So when I came back to what I said at the very beginning, get in rapport with them and recognize that these are better deals for them. So if they're better deals, I mean, don't you owe it to yourself and to them to go and create a better deal by just being a little more educated, have a little more tools in your tool belt? I think so. Well, I like how you phrase it. You're asking the questions or you're phrasing the questions with their benefit in mind. Absolutely. Right? I mean, Joe, and that, that was my whole mentality. When I go in and close a seller, I'm going into it. I'm trying to get myself out of it. I'm trying to think, how can I really benefit them? Because I feel like if you give enough other people what they want, you can get what you want. Zig Ziglar said that. And then other people said it in lots of different Sam ways. Sam Walmart said that. It's so true though, right? Go into it with their best Walmart. interest. And, <laughs> and, and when you do that, people can feel it that you care about their best interest and they'll get in rapport with you fast because they recognize, wow, Joe really cares about me. And you're saying, look, let's figure out a way to make this work. And I'll even tell them, I'll say, look, if we can't make this work, I'm going to tell you, Joe, I'm going I'm to let you know that, I mean, I'm going to go in here for your best interest. We're going to figure out a way to make this work. And if we can't make it work, then uh, I'm going to give you my best advice and I'm going to, I'm going to walk away and let you do that. And I'll tell that to sellers truthfully, because I know that if there is a good option, I've got the tools to give them that option. They're going to trust me. And they're, as a sales consultant there, they're going to go with my options because they recognize Andy cares about me and, and he's going to take care of me. He's not lying to me. And that's where the rapport comes in, right? Because I don't deceive sellers. 
I never would go in there and lie to people. I don't do that. I go in there. I try to really get their best interest. I say, if you were my brother, my mom, my sister, here's what I would tell you to do. And I really go out and I try to do business that way. That's a really good way to put it. Really good. So, okay. To the, to the, the, to the logistics of the deal you're just describing, Okay. Are you, you're going to take over their loan subject to, so you're going to be making their payments for them Yep. during that time you're rehabbing the house. Yes. And you want to be careful how you word that, but I would tell them, um, we'll just, I'll just make the payment for you. I'll service that payment. Cause then, and I'll just, I mean, I, I really bring it down to their level. I really just, I like that. I don't say anything like I'm taking it subject to and try to sound fancy with my, my terminology and investor speak. I really just, this, how's that going to work? And I said, well, you pay in Wells Fargo, right? Yeah. They send that little, uh, that little statement every month. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get that statement and I'm just going to write a check with, you know, from my company and I'm just going to put it in the mail that way. I'm going to make the payment. Okay. Right. I mean, that makes sense to them. You don't talk about assumptions or it's not legal to assume things now or let me talk about what type of loan you have. I mean, that's just all people want to sound smart. Just really just say it on their level and just let them know. That's simple. Okay. You're just going to, I'm not going to have to make the payment. No, nope, you're not going to have to make it. I'm going to go ahead and make that. I'm going to do that for you. Okay. So you're still you're still doing a closing, yep. right? And you're are you still transferring the title to you Absolutely. or putting in a contract for deed? I've done some contract for deeds. I prefer to just transfer the title. Yeah. Okay. Keep things simple. What what do you do with insurance? <sighs> insurance, I'll actually I'll actually double insure it. Okay. I'll double insure it. Because if you're gonna flip it, you need a flip policy anyway. Um, but if you're gonna hold it, which we haven't got to that destination yet, but I'll still get my own insurance if I'm gonna do a subject to hold. Um, again, it's, it gets somewhat complicated, but for me talking to different insurance guys and stuff, um, I do that. That's just what I do. I call it just the extra expense. Uh, and I've wondered about that too, because when I've done subject twos, I just get my own insurance on it. But yep. if there's ever a claim, who pays it? See, that's tough thing. And if we want to go down this little rabbit hole a little bit, um, no, I double, really don't. It's double insurance. <laughs> I mean, long story short. You can't remove that insurance. Insure. It'll create a flag. It'll create a flag. And you think, well, that insurance is going to pay. They're going to pay out, like, but the insurance is in the other person's name, but you're, there's a new name of the owner, so you can't. they're going to say, well, we're insuring something that the person that doesn't own it, and that's not legal. So again, I would just get your own insurance if you're going to do yeah. uh, a subject to. Keep their insurance in place, like Alex says, so you don't flag it, and then get your own insurance is my right, that's, that's what I've done before. So you, you feel comfortable your insurance would insure it, even though it's still insured by somebody else. They wouldn't yeah. say... Hey, we're not going to do it. You know, it's it's already insured. No, they'll they'll insure it. They'll insure it because insurance goes with the ownership, right? Because of insurance fraud and all that stuff, you can't insure something you don't own. So essentially, okay. the people that the insurance that's in place being paid out of escrow, those people no longer own it anymore. So technically, that insurance is going to say, "Hey, they don't own it. We're not going to pay for it." So I'd kind of get your own. Again, right. this is like really you can't open. insure something you don't own. You can't be like, "I'm just going to pull insurance on this because I like you." So <laughs> if if your house, Alex, you've got insurance on your house, your mortgage or whatever. And I say, look, I'm just a weird guy. I want to, I like to do weird investments. I'm going to insure Alex's house, right? And then it burns down. Can I get insurance on your house that I don't own and it burns down and they pay me out and then your insurance pays you out? Does that make sense? Like they just do away with it. You, they, in order to like get away from the insurance fraud stuff, they just won't allow you to do that. Uh, I mean, this is what I've heard from my insurance people, right? Because if you start insuring things you don't own, then it's like, with real estate stuff, right? There might be other things that you can, but with real estate, there was there was problems. So that's just what I've been told. And I'm no insurance expert, right? Like this is just what I've been told. 
Now, Andy, what would you do if they owe a little bit more than the house is worth? Mm. Well, are we trying to flip the property? Because in some instances, you know, I mean, you could possibly do a short sale, but if they owe more than it's worth, um, yeah. that's a short sale situation unless uh, the payment's good. If the payment's mm-hmm. good, if the payment works, then you could take that on. If you want to do that for a straight cash flow play, you could. Okay. So I think we've covered two of the four scenarios, right? Yes. The first one was the first the, one, no loans, no yeah. loans, and you want to fix and flip it. Fix and flip it. They don't have a loan. So work out something creative with them. Interest savings, right? Have a much, if you can save interest from hard money, then you could pay them a little bit more. Okay, good. Second one was you want to fix and flip, and they have a loan on it, but there's enough equity in it. You're all right. Absolutely. And again, it's still, still hinges on interest savings. They are paying some interest, but it's probably a lot less than your hard money. So again, you can still take that savings and pay them a little bit more. But you're, you're still trying to fix it and flip it as soon as you can, or f- flip it to another rehabber who will do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's short term enough that you're running your interest savings and, and calculating that, that savings cost into your flip profit stuff, but not something that you're going to keep long term because it probably doesn't make sense. Um, for a buy and hold, if it's a if it's a bigger property. All right. So in the contract with the seller, are you giving yourself six months? Um, yeah, give them whatever you can negotiate in there. But uh, okay. I like to do at least six months when it's a flip, um, because I mean, you guys know like, when you're doing a flip, you got buy it, fix it, and then sell it, and hope somebody doesn't fall out and they get their financing and all stuff. So four to five months generally happens. Six months is a decent cushion. So. And if you had to extend it, you probably could negotiate that, couldn't you? Yeah, and that's another thing with these. When you're working with private sellers, you've got rapport with them. And it's like the negotiation really never stops. Because if you go into it with them and you're six months deep, I mean, you can still call them up because you've got a relationship and say, hey, look, life happened, Murphy's Law, here's what we're at, but we're going to cash you out in a month. What do you think? Can we, you work with me? And, and you know, people are human. They're going to work with you. Um, so it's not like a bank that's going to be like, nope, pay it off. So Okay. Now, let's say it's a house. Let's, what's your third scenario? Before I give you mine. So the third scenario is, those are both flip scenarios. The, the other scenario is hold, right? You're, you want to hold this property. And the next question is, do they have a mortgage or not? So it's a hold with a mortgage. And so you probably wouldn't hold a three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 house, right? I wouldn't because if it's a hold with a mortgage, the first question I'm going to ask myself is, what will this property rent for? Hold with a mortgage, what will the property rent for? Because you're really going to eliminate, I mean, let's say the property is going to rent for 1300 bucks, And we talked last podcast about, 40% comes right off the top for expenses, probably 50% if you've got property management. So if it's a $1,300 a month rental, you take, 60, you take 40% off the top, you got 780 bucks left for principal and interest. And if their payment, they say, well, my payment's 1000 bucks. In my world, that's a $220 a month loss. So you got to really look hard and say, do you want to hold that property? Okay, so give us an example of a property you would hold. Um, a property I would hold is if, uh, they've got a payment, like say that payment's six hundred dollars a month, and it's a, it's a, and this is principal and interest. You got to look the principal, interest, tax, and insurance payment. The tax and insurance is coming out in that forty percent. Does that make sense? So you got to just take the principal and interest payment. But yeah. uh, I mean, everybody's got their own criteria of where they want to hold the property at. Some people like newer properties, older properties, whatever. But from a cash flow perspective, if you can take the the rent, if it's thirteen hundred dollars, and you can take forty percent off of that, so you're down to seven eighty, and their mortgage is. 600 principal and interest. If you're good taking that, and that's a real $180 a month, I would say. That's real money. That's real cash flow money. Um, I would do it. And, and I might even take one if it's 700 or you know, 
780 if it's a true break even, but you're going to kind of hang on to it over time and you want some some tax breaks and stuff, I might take that one too. But again, I'm just I'm just trying to tell people don't get into an alligator. Don't think it's $1300 a month and their payments a thousand. Um, so I'm actually going to cash flow this thing. Just be careful with that. Be careful with that unless you know what you're doing. And so are you holding any properties long-term in Salt Lake City? It's, it's kind of an expensive market. Are you looking at Indiana for those kinds of properties? I do. I actually have all of my rentals are in, in Salt Lake right now or in, in Utah right now. Um, okay. I am going to be buying some in Indiana just because they cash flow better. But, right. Okay. But in my opinion, I don't think they're going to appreciate as well. So I'm kind of doing both, right? You have some for appreciation and some for just like cash flow. So I'm going to go buy some cash flow stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Which, which part of the reason I did this training too, um, because I've got an acquisition manager out there in, in Indy and I want him having these tools. So when he goes on the ground there, what's better than a house in a market that cash flows well that you can negotiate a long-term seller financing on, right? That's like the king. That's like, that's all of it, right? That's like, that's it. You can have this machine that spits out seller leads that you can go get these leads and you can you know, negotiate a long-term seller financing where you can hold that property and it cash flows. To me, that's like the ultimate. So, Well, that's the cool thing that I'm excited about is because I know in St. Louis, different markets that I'm in, kind of in the Midwest, there's a ton of sellers that, yeah, you know, they if you're going to buy it for buy and hold and you're going to pay cash, you're probably going to not want to pay more than 20 grand for it. Okay. But if they could give you some kind of seller financing with good terms, I might be willing to pay 30 or 40 grand for it. Absolutely. Because no money out of my pocket, I can get it with maybe principal only payments or really light interest only payments and do some really, really good cash flow. So maybe can you give an example of a scenario? If, If you're doing some marketing in Indiana, Okay. And the seller, let's say it's a house that's renting for 900 a month. Okay. And the seller owes let's say the seller owes 25,000 on it. 30,000. Let's say they owe 30,000 on it. What what would you how, what what's your thinking with that kind of a deal? Rents for 900, rents for 900, she or he uh, owes 30,000 on it. Yeah. Um so again, this is gonna—I don't want to confuse people too much, but that, that'd be kind of a hybrid deal. You can negotiate a hybrid deal here because I had these four destinations, but one of them. But you got this—the thirty thousand dollars you could take subject to, right? But then the rest of the equity is all like basically up for like, let's negotiate that, right? It's anything right. that negotiates fair game. So I would say, what's your payment on the thirty, and figure that out. Figure out. So all right, let's start this way: nine hundred dollars a month. It's in indie. So I'm going to say 50% expense ratios because I'm going to have somebody manage it. So I got 450 bucks left. If their payment on $30,000 is, I don't know, 150 bucks, then I got $300 left to play with. So that, that 300 bucks, like, I mean, I could give them $200 in interest on their money or I could give them no interest on their money and that, that $300 could be straight principal and it's like, I'm still not losing any money. So again, it's just the sky's the limit really. But you need to know where you, how much you can pay them before you're actually losing money. Cause in this deal, I got $300 left. That's actual like cash flow money that I can offer them. But the first thing I'm thinking is no interest, and, but I don't call it no interest. Again, it's, it's how to sell a seller financing. You don't want to say, I'll get you 0% interest. Cause that just sounds bad. Right. I want to pay you a higher price. <laughs> I want to get you a higher price. I want to get you more money. I'm going to show you how I can get you more money and I can make you uh, 120 equal payments of things like that. Right. Cause it's just, it's all in how you're spending it to them. 
Because if you present it a certain way, like I can t- show you the same deal, but depending on how I present it, you might be like, uh, actually, that's a bad deal. I'm not getting any interest, right? But I'm going to show you that deal and say, look, you can sell this house. I mean, what's the total purchase price? Like 60 grand or something? I'll say like, I'm going to get you $80,000 for this house. And they're going to be like, whoa, how are you going to get me $80,000 for this house? And I'm going to show them how I'm going to do it. But you and I are sitting here thinking, well, you gave them a 15-year no interest, right? Like, of course that works for you, but you just don't spend it that way. You just show them. Look, everybody, all these other investors are trying to get you at 60 or 70 grand for this house. I'm going to get you an 80 or I'm going to get you 90. All of a sudden, you're the hero, right? Spin, spin is, uh, I don't know about the word spin. I mean, maybe I would say present. <laughs> well, again, this is not like sleazy sales, but truly, get outside of yourself. You're thinking like, I'm an investor and I can make X percent of my money. That's not their reality. They're mm-hmm. out there. Like if they had the money in their bank, it's like what you can do with 50000 in your bank with your knowledge is a lot different from what they can do. And when you're getting in rapport with them and asking a lot of questions and learning about them, you're going to recognize who they are and what they are able to do and what their needs are. Because this person might be like, look, look, I'm 70 years old. All I want is just a check every month. I don't want to deal with any stuff. I don't want to deal with any of that risk stuff. It's like, great. You know, their other options are what? A CD, an annuity. Like, they just don't have a lot of other options. And if you can get them something that's better than that, then you can show them how it's more secure than that because they're secured against real property. I mean, you really are helping these people. So that's why I say you got to know that stuff up front and really go in there to have something that has their best interest in mind and show them how that you can help them. Excellent. All right. So on that kind of a deal, you would take over the existing mortgage, but then there would also be some seller financing on top of that existing mortgage that you're working yeah. with. Is that what you mean by a yeah. hybrid part of it? Hybrid. Let me give you a perfect example of that. Um, I bought a fourplex from a guy uh, back when the market wasn't great three, four years ago. He wanted 200000 for it. Nobody was giving him 200000 I said, I'll give you 200000 I gave him $10,000 down and the balance of 190 but he owed 75,000 on our first mortgage and it was like four and a half or five percent or something and I didn't want to cash that out so I, I took that over subject to and then the balance I don't know my math here it was like 112 grand exactly and uh, I just divided that by like over 12 years and paid him zero percent interest but I didn't present it that way obviously so my payment to him is I pay that first mortgage and then I pay him principal only payments of like 812 bucks a month uh, and it still works within my, my cash flow that um, I, I'm still break even to make a little bit of money on it. But 12 years from now, you know, his mortgage is gone. I just paid him equal payments of that. And it worked for him because I showed him how that was more cash flow he, than he was getting because of his management and all that stuff. And I was able to go in there and prove it and have better management and things. But he gets an $812 check every month, uh, month in, month out, doesn't have to worry about it. He's so happy about it. So, But that was a hybrid deal, right? It was a little bit of... I had to do something with his equity, and that's what I did with it. Yeah, that's good. So I guess you're talking to the seller and, and explaining maybe the benefits of being the bank instead of being the landlord. Absolutely. And when you're doing these type there of deals, there's, there's no one-size-fits-all box. I don't go into this with a pre-canned presentation. I go into it and just asking tons of questions, like Columbo, right? You're just in there asking, asking, asking. And when you find out what their button is and what is they want, that's what you give them. But if you're a lot of investors go in there and say, well, I'm going to try to do this because this is what I want. Just get that out of your head. Go in there and just focus on them and figure out what they need. And if you can give them what they want, which that guy in particular, what he wanted was he didn't want to manage the thing anymore. He was, he was older. He was tired. And he thought he was going to pass away, actually. So he wanted, didn't want his wife to have any sort of headaches. 
So I gave him that. I sold him that security, and that's all he wanted. That's what made sense to him, and that's how I got that deal done. So, Andy, let's let me ask you about you're you're sitting there with the seller in their house, talking, asking all these questions, finding out what they want. Are you actually structuring this offer right there on the spot with them? Because I can see how some people may be intimidated by that, thinking, "Man, I mean, Andy's a smart guy. He's been doing this a long time, but I'm just getting started." You know, is it okay if I tell the seller, um, well, let me let me craft some creative financing offers or something like that to get you what you want, but let me get back to you. Is that okay to do that? Yeah, I think it is. I think the if you if you understand these things before you go in there, you can kind of create them a little bit on the fly. But um, but yeah, you can absolutely go back to them. I like to try to take care of the stuff. I mean, if you can, I try to like talk through this stuff with them because if you go back, if you go home and you start putting pencil to paper and getting all creative and then you come back to them it's going to take a lot longer because i want to be right mm-hmm. there with them so i can ask the questions of and i don't say i want to craft creative solutions for us i just say like well what if so it sounds like joe you need a certain amount of money every month um, and you don't want the headaches of management i'm just repeating back to them all the stuff they said yeah that's what i want i don't want management uh, i want something to be secure um, i want a little bit of money every month okay so if we could get you, if we could figure out a way to get you an amount of money that works for you, so you don't have to deal with any management, but you're secure, I mean, is that kind of what you're looking for? Yes, that's what I'm looking for. Well, that's my next line of questioning. I'm not going to come up and say I can pay you a thousand a month. My next line of questioning with them sitting right there is like, well, how much do you need every month? I mean, what bills are you trying to take care of and all those things, right? That's why when you're building it there with them, you get that instant feedback so you can adjust on the fly. Because maybe they need more money than you can offer them. Or there's just a lot of different variables. So leaving and thinking, just kind of crafting it yourself and then coming back to them, it just doesn't have that same speed of just like, hey, how can I, how can I serve your, your needs here? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. But if you're looking at, if you're thinking numbers, like are, are you figuring your profit in your head while you're talking to them? Or do you actually put a pen to paper that you're only you see to calculate, okay, well, if I take over their mortgage and then pay them this extra, I'll still be okay. Um, when are you calculating the offer? Yeah. I guess is my question. It depends on how complicated it is for me. The way I would do it, um, you know, the more experience you get with this stuff, right, and the more simplified this is. But I, I look at it that way, and I say, how much is their rent? It's a thousand. Oh, this thing will rent for a thousand if we're holding it. We're talking about a hold here. What's my expenses? Take 40% off the top. So I got $600 to play with. I mean, it's pretty easy math, right? And then if they have a mortgage, what's their mortgage? Take that off of it. And then that's the difference you have to play with. Like you can just kind of calculate it in your head. I mean, again, you can leave. Don't feel like intimidated. Like you can't go do that. But if if I can, I'm going to be there right there and just, I'm going to work it out with them. Because I know that in this competitive market, there's another investor coming in behind me. And if I can serve their needs and give them what they want, why is there's no reason they wouldn't work with me today? And that's kind of what I want. I want to give them what they want. I want to solve their problem. That's what I do. So, yeah, I'm going to try to work it out right there with them to giving me the feedback all along the way. And, and if they help you build that solution, they have ownership in it. If you build it for them and come back and show them the plan, they might be confused with it, and it's your plan, not theirs. I like to kind of build it with them. Huh. That's good. You know, Alex, I keep on thinking of um, Chris Kirshner <laughs> as we talk about this stuff. Uh, you know this why? is a lot different than that. I mean – Chris Kirshner, you're coming in there and taking a property, buying it at 
of uh, the ARV and then coming in and putting another private lender in second or third position. Uh, well, and okay, uh, you're right, but I'm not thinking about that. I'm, I'm thinking about the way he would talk. <laughs> I'm thinking about the way he would teach to talk to sellers. And those oh, of you okay. don't know, yeah, he was great. Alex, at that. he was great. Oh yeah, Alex, Alex, and I have a have a uh, long history with a guru named Chris Kirshner who used to sell a course called the Autopilot. Maybe he's still selling it again. I no, know. I don't think so. I, I think <laughs> I don't he's think so in some type of consulting business or something. I don't know. So but the, what was interesting, though, is he would Did teach. you know him, Andy? No, I don't, but I've heard there's other people that are similar that are just creative finance type of guys, right? Yeah, it he was all sense. about subject to. His whole thing was subject to. Yeah, See, borrowing borrowing your private your privates early. <laughs> and I'm not about I'm not all about anything subject to whatever. I'm all about having all the tools so that you can better serve somebody there. That's what it is. I don't right. try to go. There's certain people that say I just want to do sub twos or I just want to you know cash flip them. Like I'm looking at well, saying like just anything that works. So just get more tools. I was going to say the way he he taught it, which I thought was really good, was you give the seller options, and he would talk about how I would. You would ask the seller if I could get you the same equity that you would get if you sold through a realtor, would that work for you? That's the close. Yeah. And so then what he does is he works back backwards from the numbers to show them what their quote unquote true equity is. Yep. And their true equity is what they would really get if the realtor sold the house after all their expenses minus what they owe. And then his offer is based on giving them three different options for whatever that number is. So if they have $20,000 in true equity, he would say, um, I'll give you three different choices. I'll give you – I'm going to screw this up, Alex. No, 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 no. Right here it goes, do you want all cash now, some cash now, most cash later, or just a no cash now and all cash later? And you would get more yes. as you went down the line. Right. That's what it was. So if you, I'll give you all of your $20,000 in true equity if you're willing to wait – five years for it or whatever. And so he would, he would write this all out. I'll give you all of your equity if you let me do some seller financing. But if you want some cash now, I'll give you $5,000 now. And then you can walk away. Or if you're willing to, if you want 10000 I'd have to it's, show you on paper. It's the same I've got his worksheet somewhere. It's the same yeah. kind of concept. And I would probably yeah. go that same road in certain instances. But what I'm trying to say is you'd, you don't necessarily have that canned presentation. You look at every seller different because they're all different. Some Absolutely. Want, so I wouldn't even go in there and say, because oh, maybe some, some of his students might say, well, I'm going to take in my yellow pad and I'm going to go work it that way. Well, they're missing the point because there's, they're trying to use his old canned presentation because this is the way he worked it. But you've got to be able to focus on your seller. So you need to understand the concepts. You need to understand the benefits of these concepts. You need to understand each of these tools so that it's not like you're using your screwdriver when you should be using a hammer, right? Like you need yeah. to under, you need to know your craft well enough. And I know the barrier to entry in real estate investing. You know, there's a wide gamut of people that do this. There's some newer people. There's some really experienced people. But the more experienced you are, when we started this conversation with, why did I do this? It was all about conversion. I want to be able to convert mm-hmm. more leads. I want to be able to serve more people that way. And that's how I'm going to convert them by getting better at what I'm doing and getting a report them, listening to them. And crafting a solution with them, and it's going to serve them better. So I'm not a one size fits all box. Like, and this training too. Again, we're kissing on each of these destinations, but we haven't even talked about how you recognize the situations and sell those situations. Because in this training, 
I actually did role plays. I'm big on role plays. So I taught them one destination and I said, you guys understand it? They said, yeah. I said, great. Now you'll break out in their groups and role play it. I literally wrote scenarios that we had an investor and a seller and they had to do it. And what you find is when you actually do it, there's something there like it's, it just, it sinks in more. And as you have to role play it, it's like, you recognize it like that helps you get, excel your investing. So those videos I have, you can watch these role plays and actually have it so you can play along with them on the role plays because you get to read the one scenario and you get to like listen along and play along with them. And then we recorded the feedback too. But I encourage people not only to learn all that stuff and learn the word tracks, but get to where you can role play it. And that's when your skills are really increased. I mean, the reason I got these skills is because I worked with hundreds of sellers. So thinking that they can just watch something and not like work with a few people, it's just going to grow over time as you have these tools and you start to use them creatively. You're just, it's just going to happen, right? It's going to happen. All right, Andy. I think we talked about three or f- three of the four tracks. Was there a fourth track? Yes. The fourth track is the coup de grace. It's my favorite. It is a hold property you want to hang on to and they don't have a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's, that's a fun one. That is an absolute fun one because you've got so many different options there. It's like you can kind of write your own mortgage, right? Like the sky's the limit, like 10 year mortgage, 50 year mortgage, 0% interest, 5%. I mean, it's, it's whatever you can negotiate there. Uh, and it's, and it's finding out from, you know, sellers, what it is they need? But, um, that's a good, there's just so much to this one. This one right here is like, there's so much to it. You almost need but, a flow chart and I'm sure you have it, you know, yep. by asking or, you know, going down the path of, um, <laughs> okay. So number one, what, or who is it? Richard Roop even had the, uh, oh, he's got a confusing flow chart. Yeah. He's got like a big. Yeah, yeah, the flowchart, but there was also he had a um he had a he had an acronym for finding out, you know, how much you wow him, wowie or something like that, right? You wow how, what wow somebody? Y- y- yeah, do, what do those stand for again? Uh, what do you probably worth? What of, do you owe? Yeah. Something like that. What's you know? the pro- Yeah, and that's and all those things too like again, you know, we're talking specifically on the seller finance stuff, but yeah, when you're talking about the cash hammer and doing reverse math with the seller and showing them what the true equity is and the thinking you got to ask them what the property's worth, what do they owe on the property, what do they want? I mean, all that stuff is like yeah, that's kind of a different set of training, but it's, I mean, you need to come to this with that in mind, right? You need to have some of that stuff already because those are the questions you're asking every seller. And regardless of if you're trying to move them into one of these seller finance situations, but yeah, you want to you want to wow every seller because it doesn't matter what I think your property's worth, Joe. It matters what you think your property's worth, right? Mm-hmm. Like because that's what matters. Like I always ask sellers that, what's your property worth? And whenever they say the number, your well, next question is, well, it gives you a good is, idea of what yeah. they are thinking. <laughs> what they, yeah, I mean, what's your property worth? Because it's extremely subjective. And they say a number. Once they say that number, my next question is, how did you arrive at that number? And then they they say whatever it is they're going to say after that. And that's yeah, you know, these are part of the Colombo questions, right? You're just constantly asking people. Um, to get them, to get them where you, just so you can understand them, because you really need to understand these people. Um, but again, back to this destination, we're talking about a hold property with no mortgage. It's just sky's the limit. Not only the term, the length of the term, um, but the payment, the interest rate. I mean, you can just work out so much. You can do. I mean, things that people don't even think about a lot that I talk about in this training of like banks won't let you skip a payment. But when you're working with a private seller, who's to say you can't skip a payment? Who's to say if you're buying a property, they don't owe anything on it? And it needs repairs. Why can't you get creative and say, okay, I'll, I'll take it. We'll work out some sort of a mortgage, but I'm not going to make you a payment for six months, right? You don't present it that way, but that gives you time to fix the property, recoup some of that money back in rent, and then you start paying them that. It's just all these things you can negotiate. Um, 
with, with a seller like that, if they don't have a mortgage, it's just like all the options are open. That's good. I like it. And, uh, well, well, and in that one too, uh, I go in depth and talk about installment sales. Have you guys ever heard of an installment sale? Yeah. 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 That's old school Ron Legrand. Yeah. Well, it, with, most investors, I think, don't understand what an installment sale is and when you could use it. So that right there, just understanding what an installment sale is and when it could be used there, you could bring that knowledge to the seller and you can absolutely craft a better solution for them tax-wise than they were going to get before. So I, in that example, I use, or in this, this destination, I use an example of a seller I worked with. And he was looking at, I was going to buy his property for $100,000 cash, I think. No, I wanted it for less, like 70 cash. Ended up working a $90,000 terms deal with him. But as I was talking to him, I recognized that he had a huge tax gain coming, like huge. He went to his accountant. His accountant said he's got like, had like $20,000 or $25,000 he was going to write in taxes if he paid cash. And I told him that up front. I said, look, if, if I buy cash, pay you cash for this, you're going to have a big tax liability coming. So he, got, he went and confirmed that from his accountant. And he came back to me and I worked out a great terms deal with him because I saved him so much money on taxes. But if I told you guys, I mean, what I negotiated with him was $90,000 loan, 4% interest, 30-year fixed, just seller financing with substitution of collateral, first right of refusal, uh, discount for paying early, all that stuff. But he loved it and it was a better deal for him because I saved him twenty dollars or $25,000 on his taxes, right? And people can look at that and say, wow, how did you get him to do those things, Andy? And I take people through on my training step by step, the word tracks I use to make it a benefit to them, not a benefit for me. But at the end of that day, it looks like a great deal for me and it was, but it was an even better deal for him. And he, he loves me. He loves me. And I've got a video of him in the training too of just like laughing at him talking about how great a deal it was. And it absolutely was a great deal for him. Andy, this is really, really good stuff. I, I hope we didn't lose anybody. It's something that... It's a little more on the advanced side of things. And again, to quote Ron Legrand, you have to be a transaction engineer. And that's yeah. how mm-hmm. you get deals done. It doesn't have to be super confusing. I know a lot of people People listen to this might say, oh, I'm never going to get into stuff. You absolutely can. You just got to take it a little bit at a time in bite-sized chunks. And it's tough to cram the four or five hours worth of stuff into like into 30 minutes or an hour here. But... You absolutely can. It's just a matter of just getting in and just understanding them just one little step at a time. And it just, and it opens up your options huge. I mean, you will absolutely close more deals and help more sellers if you understand this stuff. Sure. And especially, I think this is really, really applicable in, well, for me, what I'm most interested in is, you know, I'm looking to to add more properties to my own personal portfolio now, but I don't want to use a ton of my own cash. And I don't want to borrow money from private lenders and go get bank loans and all that. But if I can get uh, a seller, and there's so many deals that they have turned down my cash offer in the past. And I'm targeting rental homes in rental neighborhoods, right? So in St. Louis, this, these are homes that are under 50 grand. But rent for eight to 900 a month, right? Right. Maybe, maybe even 1,000 in some areas. And because they didn't take my cash offer, I just kind of passed on the deal. And I didn't want to do a lease option on those because those aren't good lease option neighborhoods. Typically for me, when I've done lease options, they've been in medium price neighborhoods and above. So with St. Louis, that's maybe $125,000, $150,000 and above. But these other homes that I could have just maybe given them the money that they want on my terms, uh, I could be sitting on a pretty good portfolio now, as long as the numbers work. And it's so important to know the numbers. 
And a good rule of thumb is 50% of the rent. That's going to be your net cash flow. And that's the number that you can play with. And then, you know, some of you may be thinking, well, how am I going to be able to come up with an offer on the fly while I'm talking to the seller and building the rapport? It may be okay when you're first starting out to say, listen, let me sharpen my pencil, get back to my computer. But you've got to get back to the seller that day or within a few hours. When I've seen it take, when I first got started, when it took me longer than if I got back to the seller the next day or the day after, hardly any of those deals ever worked. These sellers are out there looking for a solution. It's like any of us. When you're out shopping for something, you're shopping for a new pair of shoes and you walk into a footlocker, you walk into a another store. It's like the first salesperson that goes in there and asks you questions and figures out what are you trying to, trying to do? You're going to buy a shoe from that guy. So it's just these sellers are bouncing around. They're looking for somebody to solve their problem. They don't care about you and your profit and all that stuff. They care about what's important to them. Go find out what's important to them, serve their need, and they're going to go with you. That's what they're looking for. They just want somebody to solve their problem. That's it. So anyway, what were you going to say, Joe? Well, I was going to say, speaking of stores, you're talking about Foot Locker. <laughs> are they out of business i don't know I'm not a big no guy. no i'm in Prague, right and for the yeah. second time in like three days some check person butts right in front of me in line a check person like like cuts <laughs> he checked cuts. He, didn't he? they checked me right out i mean like they just cut right in front of you <laughs> and, and you know why they do that uh, why because if there is a gap greater than two millis milli inches millimeters. I, I'm in Europe. I got to use metric. If, hmm. if there's a gap of more than like two millimeters in the person in front of you, they'll see that as, oh, look, this guy's not in line. There's an opening right here. I'll just cut right in. Literally, you know how an American- They Western, stack them and pack them, huh? I guess. Maybe it's from, from the communist era or something like that. Like if you're in, in, the, in America, we have our comfort zone, you know, where we feel safe and the distance from somebody else, you know? But it's different here in Europe, I think. And there's been a couple a couple times in the last several days when I've actually um, had a, my normal distance between the next person in front of me in line. And sure enough, somebody comes in and just gets right in, in line and starts talking to the person behind the counter. And, and gets so I'm getting better at, at uh, getting outside of my comfort zone, getting a little closer to people in front of me. And why I brought that up I have no idea. <laughs> you started talking about Foot Locker. Somehow you got Foot Locker and Foot Locker, and being in the store, being in a store, and and uh, anyway, sorry about that. Yeah, you're good. Um, Andy, how can people get these videos? Are are they available? <laughs> am, am I- they are. It actually is. So if you go to IsleofRealEstateStories.com, we got a ton of free videos. I do a video every week. We got like a lot of them. Um, I have some training stuff, some training videos, and this is one of the training videos I have. And it, it makes a heck of a lot more sense the way I went through it step by step and watching. You get to hear all the word tracks. You get to watch like just everything there and it really high quality video. So it is there at ilovebrosestories.com. Um, and you can also check out all of my other free stuff too. So I would love if somebody, anybody goes there, shoot me an email. Just let me know. I'd love to hear from anybody what they think about this stuff. Good. And Andy, you gave another website last time we talked. What was that website? Um, I think that was it. I love real estate stories.com or you can just go to YouTube and do Andy McFarland real estate. And it's, you know, it, you can find my channel. I love real estate stories. Awesome. So yeah, that's it. Simple stuff. Again, I'd love to hear from anybody. So shoot me an email or go to the site and you can contact me from that. And I'd love to talk, talk to anybody, hear what they have to say about it. Cool. 
That's been really good. It's been a great call. Awesome. Talked about talked about the importance of marketing. Talked about how to think creatively when you're talking to sellers. And obviously, it's more than what we can cut and break into a short little 30, 45-minute podcast interview. But this is stuff, guys, that a lot of you listening to this, you already are doing some wholesaling. And you've kind of already got that nut cracked. And, and you want to maybe start offering more solutions to your sellers. This is definitely something you need to start studying and start thinking about. Um, Andy, are there any are there any books that you can think of that kind of helped you get started in this kind of creative thinking? I I was thinking there's a book that I read a while ago by uh, John Schwab. Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, he's an old like one of the old real yeah. legend guys. Yeah, he, John Schwab does. I think he's got uh, he's got a lot of stuff. He's more like buying whole long term stuff, but I think he's got. I think he's got some stuff on this. I think he does too. And I think he, one of the book, the book I read is called building wealth one house at a time. Yeah. That's his book. Yeah. And it's been a while since I read that, but I remember him talking about some seller financing. And I think a lot of those quote unquote older guys out there, um, that was this stuff they've been teaching for years and years and years. This is nothing new. Yeah. And I think it would be, you know, maybe if somebody can think of some books or some resources that you, you've learned from this, in the past, leave some note or comments on the website at realestateinvestingmastery.com. I, that would be cool to see some of the books or some of the courses that you guys who have done this stuff before have learned from. Uh, Pete Fortunato is, is one that always does this kind of creative stuff. Um, yeah, who are those Pete, other guys? Pete will blow your mind. Um, Jimmy Napier, he's got, yes. he's got a good book called Invest in Debt. And it's not so much with this stuff, but Invest in Debt, if you read that book, it really dumbs down and simplifies a financial calculator. And I would also say that understanding a financial calculator um, is something that's going to help you. It's going to be one of those tools that really helps you understand the time value of money and things like that. So I would recommend Invest in Debt. And, yeah. and let's go through it with the calculator next year. And I probably, that stuff, man, the better you get at those type of things, just the better you're going to be able to serve these sellers. So Good. All right. Anything else, Alex? I think we're good. It's been <laughs> a great call. It has been good. I feel like I, hopefully I didn't Pete Fortunato people. I don't think I did. Hopefully we kept it somewhat on a on decent level, <laughs> right? Pete Fortunato. Pete Fortunato will blow your mind. He will blow <laughs> yeah. your mind. I hope I didn't. I hope I didn't Pete Fortunato people. Yeah, he's still some, teaching too. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's good. If you get a chance to go see him, it'll, he'll definitely uh, blow your mind and confuse you. But. Uh, I catch probably about fifty percent of what he says, so that's uh, that's that's saying something. He really is probably he probably listen he probably listens to our podcast, Alex, because we're always <laughs> so it, it, we probably are always challenging him. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, he probably doesn't know how to listen to a podcast. He's he's so old school, but uh, yeah, he's he's a great guy. Ron Legrand is still around teaching this stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. He's still doing deals too. Is he? Yeah, he is. At least that's what I've heard from people in Florida. Well, why not, right? I think you know he's got a team of people under him that are doing it. I don't think he's on the phone with sellers, but yeah, yeah. See, a lot of those guys, the new age, it seems to be, we're all trying to automate and do more and have more leads and drive more traffic and stuff. But those guys were de- doing deals one at a time, so mm-hmm. it's interesting to take the old world with the new and say, okay, how can we drive more business and make it more of a business, but then also have that individual one-on-one touch with his individual sales reps or whatever it is. That's kind of like this. That's where I see this stuff kind of merging, right? If you can take the one-on-one touch with the machine behind it to automate some follow-up, then it becomes a real interesting game. So, 
Well, and you can automate the follow-up and still make it one-on-one. Like there's, there's ways that you can send, um, you can, you can pick up the phone and call. You can send handwritten letters. You can send text messages to sellers for follow-up. Not to go down too much of a rabbit hole. Isn't there a new uh, FCC ruling that came out about text messages and stuff like that? If somebody's yeah. called you first, can you still text them legally or do they have to give you permission? Technically, no. But th- the big thing that they're – this is a rabbit trail, but this is important because we're talking about follow-up. Yeah. A lot of people are using text messaging to follow up with old leads. You've got to be really careful. In fact, I would say you probably shouldn't. Ah. Mass send mass text messages. Mass. To, but what about one person? What about like, hey? There's. I don't think there's anything wrong with you getting on your phone and one seller at a time saying, "Hey, Jim, talked a few months ago about your house at one two three Main Street. Have you sold it yet?" I think that's totally cool. I know that's totally cool. Okay. You can do that. What they're against is the mass uploading of phone numbers, recording or sending out one message to all of them unless they give you express prior written permission to do that. And so that's, but here's the thing. I have my VA send personalized one-off text messages. That's, that's not a problem. And they do that for me. One-offs is the key. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a lawyer. That's what I, that's what I think. There's a lot of stuff that you can outsource and automate your business like that. But I think this is a this is the silver lining to all this stuff. All the hedge funds coming in, all these people that are just bigger than you, got more money than you. But if you understand how to craft and create an, a deal, you'll yeah. always be able to do something in any market. If you know how to do that, because that's not scalable. The hedge funds can't come in and get down knee to knee with the seller and, and create a solution to that and solve someone's problem and, and work themselves, get themselves a little paycheck out of that. So I mean that's where the little guys the residential investors and all stuff, and even I mean, you can do commercial stuff with this too. That's where the, this will always be a market. There will always be a market for this for years and years to come. No matter what market cycle we're in, this will always be viable if you are if you know how to build a deal. That's what this stuff's about. Yeah, that's good. Knee to knee. My one of my friends used to call it belly, belly to, to belly. belly. That's what I was gonna say. Knee to knee. It depends. If you're no. in the Czech Republic, you don't. You're gonna be belly to belly. But if you're in America, <laughs> you're knee to knee. <laughs> belly to belly that's just kind of awkward though. yeah unless you're in the czech republic right but joe's gonna come back and he's gonna have to work on that personal space when he gets back because yeah i'll probably get a lot of weird looks when i'm back in the united states <laughs> probably will oh and i'm embarrassed to admit we went to a mcdonald's the other day my wife's been gone for a, a week Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh. uh-oh so i'm like my kids i don't know when the last time they had vegetables was but uh <laughs> They've, Parenting breakdown. It's been horrible. I, we were just walking around, you know. We've been going to a bunch of different playgrounds. I'll take them to playgrounds. So they're eating crappy junk food, but I'm taking them to playgrounds and they're running it off. So that's okay. It, <laughs> it all works. <laughs> so we were walking and walking t- the other day and I saw McDonald's and I knew that McDonald's had food that they liked. So I like I was just and, and I was in that mood where you know what. I don't care what they eat as long as they eat something, that's fine. And I knew they had chicken strips. <laughs> and so we, I went there and got them chicken strips and French fries. And I didn't get some sodas. But, yeah, it's kind of weird. You know, the the biggest, most popular fast food chain here in Prague is actually KFC. Somebody was telling me that. Um, people love their fried chicken here. Huh. 
Wow, that was a bad bunny trail. Um, <laughs> it's, it's we, we just really get... late in the Czech Republic right now. It's okay. I, I am tired. I need to go. Thanks, Andy. Guys, go to I love realestatestories.com. I love realestatestories.com and get some more information about Andy McFarland, these 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 tools and resources that he put together in there. He's got a lot of good free resources on there. Um, and he also has a YouTube channel you can go check out. But just go to I love realestatestories.com. And you're going to get a lot of good stuff there. I'm going to go there myself, Andy, cool. and uh, check it out and send some stuff to my acquisitions team. Do it. This has been really good. Really good. Awesome. I love it. I appreciate you guys having me on here again. And always a pleasure, Joe and Alex. Always Thanks, a pleasure. Thanks, Andy. All right. Yeah, we appreciate you, Andy. Thanks. All right. We'll talk to you later. See you guys.